Hi, dance friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit podcast. I'm editor and producer Margaret Fuhrer, and I am excited to welcome you to this new format for the pod. We are back to weekly episodes now, and every other week we'll be airing longer form interviews with the artists who are shaping dance world headlines. Our interview guest this week, well, if you're a dance person, he really needs no introduction, but I'll give a very brief one anyway. It's Mark Morris, one of the most widely acclaimed and prolific choreographers in the world, full stop. And the Mark Morris Dance Group is about to premiere his latest dance, The Look of Love, which features the music of the legendary Burt Bacharach, who has also been involved in the production, as you'll hear. Mark is a famously candid and opinionated and lively interview subject. We started out talking about Bacharach and went on to discuss everything from how he feels about commercial dance work to how the pandemic has changed the arts, or rather changed everything, including the arts. So buckle up, here's Mark Morris. Well, I will say one thing, which is I hate Zoom more than almost anything in the world. Anyway, here I am. So here you are. I'm with you on Zoom, but I appreciate you being here. <laughs> Hi, Mark. Officially, yeah. welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Um, we are now, as we're talking, we're a few weeks out from the premiere of The Look of Love, your latest evening length work. It's a tribute of sorts to Burt Bacharach. So I guess a natural place to start is why Burt Bacharach and why Burt Bacharach now? Well, why do you say it's a tribute? Oh, that's, I'm just stealing from the marketing language that I was reading. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. I'm, it's, well, I don't know. It's a, it's a dance to the music of Burt Bacharach and mostly Hal David. So um, yeah, I did it because I like it, which is why I choreograph all music. He's a great, great artist, a great songwriter, a great um, arranger, a great lots of things. And everyone has some familiarity, familiarity with his work whether you know it or not. Um, so for some people it's nostalgic, for some people it's brand new and some people will like it and some people won't like it. And um, he's written so many songs. It's like a sort of a Schubertian scale of writing fabulous, wonderful, moving, beautiful, surprising songs. I mean, it's not Schubert because he of course died very, very young and Bert is still with us in his nineties and fabulous and gave us his approval and has been very friendly and cooperative. So it's, since he's in, involved in it and approved it and alive, that's why I would question the, the use of the term tribute. And of course, it's a, I salute him and love the music. So um, Ethan Iverson and I, and Ethan is was my music director for a number of years and is a very, very great um, jazz a pianist and composer and performer and uh, arranger. And uh, he mentioned, well, we mentioned Bacharach's music many, many years ago because we love it. And there's a huge variety of it. And it's, it, you know, it it's covers a great deal of territory. And um, it was, uh, Ethan is the person who is doing the musical arrangement and playing in it. He also is known for having composed uh, the arrangements of my uh, dance called Pepperland, which was based on the the Beatles Sgt. Pepper album, et cetera. So um, it's, it might seem like we're doing a series of tributes to music from the 60s and 70s, and we're not. I mean, it's not, it's not like a collection of these that we're gonna keep doing. We did uh, Pepperland on a surprise 
commission from the festival in Liverpool celebrating the 50th anniversary of that. And this is not assigned to any particular event or any sort of assignment. It is, uh, we love this music and decided it was time to do this piece. So it's been in the back of our collective minds for a very long time. And we've just now made it uh, come true. Yeah, that was like my next 15 questions. That was great. Um, <laughs> since since Bert is, as you said, he's in his 90s, I'm guessing he's not running around the rehearsal studio with you. But you mentioned that he has been sort of involved in the process. How has he been involved? It's called Zoom and it's a nightmare, but it works when you need to communicate with somebody thousands of miles away. So in the in that way, in his support, and we've had a few meetings and I don't know, he's he's great and interesting and funny. You know, he would sing snatches of tunes on the on Zoom. I was like, oh my God, what is this? It's so fabulous. This is happening. Um, so it's really, you know, and it's not a trip down memory lane. It's not a nostalgia festival. But, you know, it's like really the, the songs are so varied and there's so much information in them, not just that most of them are kind of upbeat and most of them have a sort of a sad uh, punchline. You know, a lot of them are about being, left. you know, it's like, uh, a lot of genre of music are in a particular mode and in a particular style of description. And this stuff, which is always, it's always in the back of my mind. That sounds like a song title of Mr. <laughs> Bert Backrack. But um, these songs are have become sort of for a, a lot of people, younger people, kind of, uh, you know, nobody wrote them. They're kind of folk music. You know, it's like, oh, wait, I know that. Oh, somebody wrote that? And I have an announcement that person was Bert Backrack. And <laughs> so Ethan is doing arrangements for, um, you know, rhythm trio, piano, drums, bass, uh, plus a lead singer, uh, Marcy Harriel, and two backup singers. What else am I forgetting? And trumpet. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, it's for 10 dancers in my company. The costumes are Isaac Mizrahi, who's a wonderful designer and a longtime friend and collaborator of mine. And... There, that's another answer that probably did a whole bunch of questions because I just end up rambling on. So go ahead. No, never apologize for rambling to a journalist. Um, <laughs> I think, um, I mean, some people came into Pepperland expecting like a big Beatles sing-along, which is very much not what that show was. It sounds like yeah. it's not what this show is going to be either. Yeah. Why did you and, and Ethan want to sort of take a step away from the familiar songs themselves? Well, in the in Look of Love, which is the Bacharach piece, it isn't. It isn't far away at all. It's yeah. they're very direct arrangements with a, basically a you know a, a jazz ensemble, and Bert was kind enough and considerate enough and professional enough to on our first meeting say you guys should, you know you don't want it to be boring. It shouldn't just be a you know a playlist, and there has to be a variety of tone and tempo and everything. And have you considered this a medley or having different kind of vocalists? It's like well. Those were all the questions I was going to ask him. Like, do you mind, Mr. Backrack, please, if we did this one little thing? And he was like, well, you know, go ahead. Make it make it an interesting show. So that's all I want to do. But in contrasting that with the case of the Beatles, a lot of people don't realize it, but um, the, the album Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was not performable music. It was written in response to their being exhausted and stamped, you know, stampeded and no one listening to their music because they were everyone was screaming in all these stadiums i was at one of those shows when i was an adorable child <laughs> i didn't hear a note of the beatles 
my sisters were screaming so loud next to me. And so were the other, you know, 8,000 people. It's like, wow, what is this for? Um, so I only work with living music, living musicians and live music in my performances, because why would you not? If you can, I use live dancers and I use, you know, live musicians and a live audience. That's my favorite combination. Um, so in that, in the case of the, of the background music, it's always been live and it was always recorded live. And we don't have to imagine what it would be like. So with Pepperland, there was no real uh, template for what to do with the music because there's no reason to recreate something that was uh, a studio recording and meant to be that. So they, you know, they came to perform some of the songs later on, but they were never originally meant to be performed in, in a concert situation. Mm -hmm. That's the long end that so well so i mean like the beatles for backrack has yeah just an enormous catalog of work mm -hmm. pepperland you focused on one album that was a way of narrowing it but right how did you and ethan and maybe bert create the you know quote-unquote playlist for the look of love oh that was me and ethan and ethan and i sort of you know it's like i'm not wild i'm not as wild about this one as i am about that one or i can make this into a great arrangement or this isn't my favorite song but it would make a good dance or this is the greatest song I've ever heard in my life. So it was a mix of those. Ethan was working on the arrangements during his very busy touring schedule and performing schedule. So he came up with a series of songs and their sort of rudimentary arrangements. And I started working with those Colin Fowler, who's my current and fabulous music director, uh, you know, is a brilliant keyboardist as well as many other things. And so he plays, for rehearsal, I sing, or sometimes Marcy, the singer who's going to do it, lately has been coming in. And I've been choreographing it the way I always do. And we're, I still just lately decided on the actual sequence of events of the songs because of, you know, what key they're in, what tempo, what the dances look like. So I've just lately sort of rearranged the sequence to make a more satisfying sort of arc. And um, so we're working on that. And it's we're heading into the home stretch, of course. Now is when the shit hits the fan, which is apparently this exciting part. That's what I always remember. <laughs> always in retrospect, it's like, oh, of course, that was so thrilling heading up to the opening, you know, buzzer. And it is, but it's also really a little bit stressy and, you know, a little bit nervous making. But I'm, it's going great. I'm very happy with it. You're talking about choosing songs yeah. because they were the greatest song you've ever heard. Which of those songs is the greatest song you've ever heard? I'm not saying... I don't want to. I don't want to lead the witness. My sister's favorite song is years, decades ago, was "Message to Michael," and that's a song a lot of people aren't as familiar with. It's not as well. I don't know. It's a great song. You love it or you don't know it. And uh, so that is. I had to include that. And then it was like, are we gonna do "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head"? I don't know. And the answer is yes. So <laughs> we struggled over that partly because it's so familiar, and partly because it's so catchy that it's like. You know, it's not cheap. It's just, it's an earworm, as they say. You know, it gets in your head and doesn't go away. And I guess that's good advertising for people who get out of the theater and are singing something at the restaurant after. It's like, oh, what was that? You must see this show, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you, you sort of famously don't like to talk about the process of making dance. I just have been. Well, I mean, in terms of the actual steps. Well, wait a minute. Hold on, hold on. I'm reluctant about talking about the process of my work. Well, that's why you read the books that I've written. That's why you read my memoir. It's all about that. Also, I personally 
I don't want to, I don't want to know about other people's stuff. I don't want to see a work in progress. I think you should do the work and then show the show. The, the piece should be judged by its entirety and its completeness. That's the, that's the art product that I'm working on. The sort of craft part, you know, the working part of making up a dance is it's personal. Because talking about the process of making up a dance is, you know, I, I choose the music, my company does this, I make up steps, I change them. All steps are some combination of right, left, right and go like this. So that's why the, you know, the proof is in the tasting of the pudding. It's not in the pudding. That's a miscalculation. So anyway, I'll answer whatever question you want, except, <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. Well, it was worth a shot. Um, how do you feel about formulas? Because you said that Pepperland, the look of love, it's not necessarily a formula that you're following. And yet, at least as a viewer looking at your work, it certainly seems like your choreography often involves Maybe formula is the wrong word, but motifs. There is this sense of, you know, it worked. Let's revisit it. How do you feel about all that? You mean style? I, I mean, when we're talking about choreography in particular, yeah, sure. But also, what I mean, Pepperland, The Look of Love, those are two dances that are similar in ways that might imply like, hey, yeah, this is a formula that works. Yeah, there's similar, but a formula is mad libs. You know, a formula, a formula is something that works for a while let's see but the, that's the other thing in in describing and not describing my what people call creative process the formula means i am using music and dancers and the proscenium stage and lighting and costumes and an audience that's that's the formula the formula is concert dance the formula i don't know I'm, i don't like the word formula for one thing but also those two dances out of the other 150 dances that I've choreographed, I don't know if we can make that kind of a generalized statement. They're, they're similar in that people have two arms and two legs and <laughs> I use live music. You know, it's like I've been accused uh, of being schematic in that when you hear this text being sung and someone is making a gesture that seems to illuminate or translate, transfer that sense of text and music through physical action, of course, both of those are already actions, then you understand it or you see it in a particular way that seems to some people reductive or the cursed term Mickey Mouse. And it's like, Mousing, but the, yeah. yeah, but the thing is Mickey Mouse involved many, many people The you know, the composers, the animators, the sketchers, the storyboard people, the money that went behind that, and to produce these astoundingly great works of art in film animation that we call Mickey Mouse, because you know it's like that's brilliant work. So um, to me, that's not insulting at all. That's a great compliment, and it's a, a sign of shallowness in the people who write it. You've actually segued perfectly into my next question because <laughs> okay. um, there's that that great line in your book from Out Loud where you say to choreograph one signal Disney cartoon for five minutes, I'd f a mouse. And I am wondering if you could talk a little more about how you feel about explicitly commercial art, just art that sets out to make money because it gets a bad rap in the like high dance scene. But what's the high dance scene? It's a money factory. The high dance scene is the classical ballet industry. And also the uh, the co-option 
of the visual arts have have taken over certain the aspect of what used to be called sort of avant-garde dance. So all there's so much dance now being adopted and sponsored and presented by museums and by visual arts organizations. And that's, there are 50 more zeros after the budget of the visual arts than there are for dance. And that's fine. It's a much, much bigger crowd. I think making money is great. No, really, I'm, you know, uh, you know, Wayne McGregor's movie projects that he's done, all the stuff that he does, which generates a great deal of money and he's very generous with it and uses it to, you know, propagate more dance and more interest and more, co more collaboration. I salute him. And, you know, people who choreograph for commercials are people who Broadway shows. If nothing is greater than, uh, you know, seven hours of Harry Potter on Broadway for your kids, hooray, hooray for the artists who are doing it. Hooray that the culture has some kind of uh, body to it. It's, it's meant to be, you know, part of the culture, dancing and music and literature. Let's call them the arts and let's call them the lyric arts, the performing arts, which are absolutely crucial. And in the United States, very, very dimly viewed, very little supported. And so if someone is doing wonderful 30 second dances or, or starting some kind of not life threatening challenge on TikTok, hooray, why not? And, you know, Beyonce could give Anna Teresa to Karismacher a couple of bucks. It wouldn't kill her. But it's also a lot of moves are in the public domain just because they're that's what people do. It's partly a part of behavior. So I don't know what question I just answered, but it's pretty interesting. <laughs> no, it is interesting. I'm asking about art and money partly because of COVID. Let's talk about COVID a little bit, because you gave that interview to the Washington Post a few months ago, very frank about how terrible the pandemic has been for you and your company. That interview with, with, with Sarah, I was worried about it a little bit because I, you know, I'm generally known to be sort of frank or rude or whatever, you know, but it's also, you know, how do you like the soup? I don't, you know, it's like you asked, you know, you're the restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, it's here's what's wrong. So with that conversation with Sarah, I was saying what I was experiencing and I thought it, it would cause trouble. And it actually was really, really popular and successful. And people were talking about it, which is, isn't why I do it. I'm just like, I didn't learn Italian. I didn't, you know, I didn't. No you sourdough. Know, raise, yeah, no, I, no. I would never do that. I didn't raise orchids. I didn't adopt puppies and then send them, you know, to the uh, exterminator. You know, I wasn't seeing unicorns and rainbows. Let me put it that way. People have been talking and, and that was part of my response to Sarah in that article in the post that, you know, like everything's going to be fine. We need the arts to get us through that. It, you know, that it's a bomb and it's some somehow better for people. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're saving people with our imaginations and our creative visions. And I think that's nonsense. You want your work, whether you're a writer or an actor or a musician or a dancer, whatever, you want it to affect people, but you don't get to decide in what way. If you do, you're a bad artist. And um, also it's not meant to, to cure everything that ails you. Um, so I reject the idea that the arts are supposed to, you know, make you feel good. I like it when they do, but the idea of it being directional, of it being part of this wellness movement, I think is just uh, infantile and um, popular.
<laughs> but I think it's it's a responsibility that's put on the arts that is unrealistic and and not very important. Mm-hmm. Well, how about financially speaking? Because yeah, dance business models already not in a great place before the pandemic. Now they face this more sort of existential threat. And you talked in that post article too a little about that. Are you feeling any less doom and gloom on that front these days? It's not doom and gloom. Don't don't misunderstand me. Um, I'm optimistic and I'm realistic and I'm a nonconformist. What's changed the most, as I see it, from the early part of this horrible COVID future that we have is that people are used to getting things, if you're lucky enough and well off enough to get things delivered and, you know, instantly and the, uh, you know, you see little tiny snippets of things, bits of things. There's that plus the fear of going into a crowded theater or an airport. It's the same with restaurants. It's the same with all entertainment, you know, tourist dollars and attention. If there aren't tourists, there's no need for the Eiffel Tower anymore. You know, so it's a little bit, you know, I'm mixed up about it. It's not gloom and doom. It's just things change. And whatever I like or dislike doesn't affect the culture as a whole. It affects me and my relationship to it. But, you know, I can't hold up the world. Well, what's making you feel optimistic? Oh, good question. <laughs> um, work, uh, working with my company back at work and getting ready to put on a show, which is also frustrating because there have been people missing all the time because of COVID and having to substitute repertory of the shows. It's like, oh boy, they didn't cancel it. Hooray, they just postponed it. But unfortunately, uh, we have to put it together now. And that takes you know, a week to put together a show that if it was up, we could just tour it. So it's both. It's like, oh, this is so much work, kind of in an emergency schedule. Plus, hooray, we, we get to perform for other people. And that's why we exist, you know. So it's both. And I like to think that it's getting heavier on the hooray side than the, you know, the grim, the grim bit. This next question takes a little bit of a turn, but it okay. concerns another Good. sort of bit more of yours. And <laughs> yeah, well, it's not, I was going to say, I wish it were a turn in a more positive direction. It's not yet, oh, but maybe I'll get right. there. Okay. Um, I was remembering a moment from last year's Dance Magazine Awards, which were at the Guggenheim. Oh, sure. You were on, yeah, you were part of this pre-show panel talking about the relationship between dance and visual art. But what stuck with me was you talking with some heat <laughs> about how terrible it often is for dancers to perform at museums just because yeah. the conditions are usually not great. And then you went into how frustrating it is that dancers are so often asked or required to just kind of put up with a lot of not great situations. That was positive. I'm defending dancers' rights. That's what I'm doing. Have you seen any progress in terms of how dancers are treated maybe in this comeback since COVID? I was speaking specifically about dance in museums. And many people don't don't agree with my idea that I've had for many decades. I don't want to dance on cement. I don't want to dance on a marble floor in a museum. I don't want to go to a museum because my back hurts from just walking there. So why would I mean, I love going to museums, but why would you want to dance unless it's specifically designed for that sort of place? You can't just take a dance, a theater dance and put it into a, a, a place like that. You can, you know, of course, Merce famously did that kind of thing and other choreographers who continue to. It's fine. I don't do it. And I believe that it's assumed, you know, it's like, you know, it's a little bit petting zoo. It's a little 
yeah, it's a little here's one I prepared earlier. It's it's demonstrative as opposed to performative. And if I see a show that obviously I I have great sympathy uh, for people who are then like jumping on a marble floor in a museum for people with their phones. And, you know, it's just like, to me, it's degrading, it's debasing and others don't see it that way. That's my opinion. And hooray, do, if you want to do that, do it. You know, if I have dances that are choreographed specifically to be performed in what I would say, not ideal circumstances. I have dances that we can do outside at a park, which we do, but I'm not going to do a full on knockdown drag out, jumping and lifting and rolling on the ground kind of dance on a hard floor. I won't do it. I think it's inhumane. Um, all right. A lighter direction now. Aside from the music of, of Burt Bacharach and, and the work of the other collaborators involved in your dances, what other art have you been enjoying recently? What have you been seeking out? Television. Like what? It's great. Television is just great. It's so much more sophisticated than so much of the performing arts. And it's right there. You know, there, there's an amazing stuff going on. But as far as going to shows, I was just abroad for the first time. I was at the Edinburgh Festival briefly and in London. And I went to shows. I didn't go to any dance shows because I didn't want to. I went to music shows and a couple of plays. And, you know, it was really great. But, you know, it's like a busman's holiday. I mean, I make up dances. I don't necessarily want to see them. But it's like with restaurants, same with arts organizations. It's so much more fraught than it was. So a lot of people have shut down after the big COVID push, which I mean, big COVID problem, which is a little bit different now. So it's like the restaurant I used to go to that I love isn't quite good, in, not quite back, you know, and people are underprepared and scared. And so that's still true. There's a tentativeness in the performance. And like me at an airport, I'm, I'm not comfortable because I don't really trust everybody. And that's true with audiences who are still, coming and going and we're working on it, but I don't feel particular. I don't feel COVID release, COVID free. I'm still very concerned and very, you know, we test all the time still as we should. So it's, that's the complicated bit. And I think things are progressing. They're getting better, but that doesn't mean everyone's going to survive. It's very complicated. It is complicated. Every question ends up inevitably somewhere complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I'll end with a question that, well, maybe it's complicated. Actually, maybe it's not complicated at all. What do you think makes an artist great? Uh, boy, I don't know. I There's some artists I think are great, but I don't like their work. And some people whose work I like, but I don't think they're great. You know, it's like, that's a taste thing. You know, that's a sub subjective thing. Absolutely. It's like, you know, what a great singer, what a great musician, but I don't like her voice very much. You know, it's like I say this all the time, you know, Frank Sinatra, Edith Piaf, uh, Maria Callas, all sing flat and late. And we love that. If they were early and sharp, I don't think we would love it. But it makes you, I don't know if it's a relaxing thing or a trust thing or a mysterious, like what's going to happen next. But it's, but you know what I mean? It's not perfect pitch and perfect rhythm. That's nice to be able to do that, but that isn't necessarily how that music needs to go, according to me. So it's really like, 
you know, there's some, I'm trying to think of trying to use a name without getting in trouble. Just like someone who's, who I like, but I don't like their choreography so much or, or vice versa. So for me, because I'm an artist, I don't doubt that I'm good at it, but it does, it's not, my work isn't the answer for everybody. You know, I don't, it's, again, it's not, it's not Disney. I try not to decide what people think when they see and hear a show of mine. And that's scary. And you want everybody to love everything. But then what kind of a date is that if nobody has are, is arguing over dinner after the show? You know, it's like, oh, that was fine. I'd like a little bit of that's the greatest thing I've ever seen or I'm never going back. And, you know, <laughs> things in between, certainly. <laughs> well, that seems like a good place to end. Thank you again for, for making the time on your little vacation. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again to Mark, who, as I mentioned at the end there, was doing this interview while on a mini break from the studio before the chaos of the final Look of Love push began. That work will have its world premiere at Broadstage in Santa Monica on October 20th, before heading to the Kennedy Center the following week and then continuing to tour around the country. In the show notes, we have a link to the show's microsite, which has lots more information. We also have links to the Mark Morris Dance Group's website and social accounts, so you can keep up with everything they have going on. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a headline rundown episode recapping all the top dance news stories. Until then, keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing.